Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalists Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Indeed, we are. Welcome to episode number 47. This one is going to be the best of the Minimalists. Well, actually, just the best of 2016. Ryan, I was thinking about making a a greatest hits episode, but it's like... It's like a band who puts out one album. Uh, I feel like we've done one year of podcasts. We don't have greatest hits just yet. <laughs> but maybe we can just sort of like look in the rear there's view some, for a moment. There's some good moments we can tweeze out. Absolutely. And, and that's, what, that's what I'm hoping to do here today in, in this episode. So episode 47 is going to be the best of 2016. You're going to hear some samples from seven different episodes throughout the year. You can go back and, and dive deeper into those. These aren't necessarily the best episodes. Although some of my my favorites, these are just, and they aren't necessarily some of the they aren't they aren't necessarily the best answers that we have either. These are just some highlights that that we really enjoyed. So this we'll we'll, we'll jump right in. We'll dive right into this episode. The first clip you're about to hear is from way, way back, Ryan. Episode number two. It's the episode on technology. What these three callers are asking is the same thing in a different way. It's how do minimalists handle social media and technology? And also uh, sort of alluding toward the the fear of missing out. Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, just to start with, with Jeff's, he specifically uh, brings up Twitter and Snapchat and all those crazy social media uh, outlets that we have uh, where we have this awesome bit of communication to use and certainly it can be a great tool to use but yeah it can certainly be overwhelming yeah i mean basically i think our tools are only as good or as bad as the person using them i've Mm -hmm. used this analogy before but a chainsaw can cut down a a rotting backyard tree preventing it from impaling your neighbor's home or that same chainsaw can be used to hurt that same neighbor to chop him into Tiny little pieces. Or, or a, a uh, can of paint can be used to beautify your home's facade. Or you might use it to graffiti the walls at an otherwise pristine public park. And I think the same goes for technology. It's, it's just a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, we can use Twitter and Facebook and Google Plus and Pinterest and all these other places to enrich our lives and enrich the lives of others and to communicate, express ourselves and share things that we couldn't otherwise share as easily. Or we can get stuck in that social media Bermuda Triangle, right? We can careen from Facebook to Instagram to YouTube and just stay stuck and the meaningless glow of our screens. And, I mean, I, I use my phone all the time to, to photograph gorgeous landscapes, message loved ones, uh, map out directions, etc. But it's really about the intention we have and, and how we plan to, to use the devices. And I think the bottom line is that it's up to us to determine how we're going to use our, our chainsaws and our paint cans and our technology. Ultimately, our, our tools are just tools, and it's our responsibility to ask important questions about how and why we use those tools. But, of course, you don't have to use all of them. And so some of these people are, are looking for sort of tips, like how do I identify all of these things I'm overwhelmed with? Now, Ryan and I typically don't talk about depriving yourself of, of something. We don't think minimalism, minimalism is about deprivation. But, you know, sometimes it's okay to temporarily deprive yourself so you can figure out what truly adds value to your life. And I've, I've gone through some experiments in, in, in my life. I got rid of home internet maybe four years ago, and I wrote an essay about this, uh, theminimalists.com slash internet, about my experience of, of getting rid of the internet 
for one month. And I'll tell you what, it was the most productive month of my life. And I ended up never getting that, that internet uh, back. And I got rid of my TV and realized that I was more productive without that. But I've also done other sort of stoical experiments, deprived myself temporarily of, say, my cell phone. But after two months without that, I realized that, yeah, I was using that cell phone not very deliberately, but I could bring it back into my life because there were some things that that really added value uh, to my life. And, And... so I was addicted to, to the smartphone, and we, get, we can get addicted to technology. And sometimes it's okay to disconnect so that we can move on. Yeah, I think the key takeaway here for Jeff is to ask yourself that question with each platform that is stressing you out, the ones that you brought up on the voicemail. You know, is Snapchat, is it really adding value, or is it more of an ephemeral uh, ephemeral way of, of, of pacifying yourself. That's something that I would ask with each application. In fact, that's what Josh and I do. I mean, we have Google+, Plus, we have Pinterest, we have Twitter and Facebook. Um, we have a lot of help uh, managing. Not, I shouldn't say a lot of help. We got a little bit of help managing those accounts. Uh, Jess does an awesome job with that. Um, but we did pick those platforms very uh, specifically. We don't have a Tumblr page that we keep up with. We don't have uh, what, what, what are the other Snapchat? Snapchat. What are the yik kids? Yak. What are the kids doing these days? Yeah. yeah. So <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that we avoided specifically because we felt like these platforms we had it reached the broadest audience, and we felt like we could uh, not only get the most value of it, but add the most value with it as well. All right. And the next clip you're about to hear is a long time ago. We recorded an episode on education. It was um, episode number four of the Minimalist Podcast. Is there a decent uh, minimalist approach to education? Well, it depends on what you mean by, by education. I, uh, I think sometimes a formal degree is important. I personally wouldn't go to a dentist who was a DIY dentist. Right, yeah. If, I, if I'm getting brain surgery, I hope that surgeon went to college. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because those systems, those structures are best set up to ensure that those people know what they are doing. However, there are many other times where it is not necessary to seek a, a traditional degree. And so maybe we should, we should talk about, about some of those scenarios when, when it may or, or may not be responsible or applicable or appropriate for you to, to seek the traditional route. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> first and foremost, if I was to ever go back to college, which I am totally open to that one day. We had a question on our Tuesdays with the Minimalists where someone asked, like, would you ever consider going to college? If I did, it would be it would be more of uh, pursuing a hobby type thing. Like I'd go for acting or I'd go for uh, physics, something that I was really interested in or that I wanted to learn more about. Um, but I would never do that if I was going to uh, go back into debt. That is one thing that I, I really hope to – I'm uh, 100% debt-free and I hope to stay that way. Oh, just to cut you off there, I think I think there's no such thing as good debt, and and that that's one thing to to be really concerned about when we're approaching uh, approaching uh, continuing our education. We often assume that we have to go into these massive amounts of debt, right. and if you have to go the traditional route, if you're going to go to a college, well, there's some things you can consider. You can consider a community college, especially for the first two years of of a traditional sure. bachelor's degree. Uh, you should certainly consider something that's in-state with because the in-state rates are, are generally appreciably lower. And you should also consider finding ways to fund your way through college while you're going through it as opposed to taking on student debt that will pro- prohibit you from living the life that you want to live because you're going to be tied to an income that you need just to pay back those student loans. Yeah, I was going to say, I would even argue that like you could go to... Uh, you could go to school for free right now, um, even without spending the money, even without having to worry about the money. Because uh, what I was going to say is I am taking classes online right now, um, just r- kind of randomly at my leisure for free. Uh, they are uh, on like quantum physics, something like really silly, but just something that I want to 
uh, go down the, the rabbit hole a little bit with, and I can do that for free and get some really good classes. And like right now, I could totally have a decent conversation with you about about quantum physics. Uh, and when I say decent, I no, you could probably no, a little I bit less I, than decent. I, I don't know anything about it. It'd yeah. be a very one sided uh, question. But I could also go and, and learn about uh, quantum physics, or I could go improve my writing online. I, there are a lot of different things I I can do online mm-hmm. in a very non traditional sense. And I mean, we have this this in, this infinite amount of information that is at our literally at our fingertips right. now, whether it's in our pocket or on our computer screen or wherever. And instead, we spend a lot of time focusing on incessantly checking our emails or or just getting caught in the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle of social media, as opposed to using the technology to enhance our lives, to mm-hmm. improve our lives, to learn and to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and and what we're really talking about here with education is I want to grow as an individual. Mm-hmm. Well, why do you want to grow? It's so you can contribute to the world uh, around you. Mm-hmm. And the more you grow, the more you have to give. And, and so does that mean you have to go through a traditional education setting? If you want to, I'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with it. I don't see a reason to do it for for most vocations yeah. these days. Well, I mean, let's yeah, let's go to to Brandy. Let's talk about her situation specifically. So, the one of the first things that stood out to me, she said that she felt like it was draining her soul. Now, oh, yes. Now that to me is a flag, right? And that's why she called in because that's a huge flag. Sure. Uh, this feels like it's draining my soul. I gotta leave now. Here's what I would challenge Brandy to do is to really look at the result, uh, look at her outcome uh, that she is going to get after going to college. She said that she really wants to be a tattoo artist. She loves to paint. She loves to draw. Is she taking classes right now for painting and drawing? Is that helping her painting and drawing career or is she in there for marketing? If it is for painting and drawing, the question that needs to be asked is, is this painful or is this uncomfortable? And there is a difference, right? Yes, indeed. I mean, if, if, if you are in pain, we know when you're working out, uh, you know the difference between like an uncomfortable getting that last rep out and yes. uh, oh my goodness, my shoulder hurts, I have to put the weight down. Yeah, the, the discomfort, if we're in a place of discomfort, that is the place from which we grow. Absolutely. So it, the question needs to be asked here with Brandy is, do... Do you need to push through this discomfort to grow? And if the answer is yes, then I would say you know, maybe consider staying in college. If the answer is no, by the time I graduate college, I'm going to have a, a marketing degree that I'm not going to do anything with, uh, then yeah, I would consider maybe going an alternative route. Yeah, and, and that alternative route, you know, you, you mentioned a few things that there's this stigma of, of leaving college. Well, stigma with who? I mean, if you're hanging out with people who are discouraging you from cultivating a passion, because you really enjoy and are excited about the prospect of, of some sort of artistic career, and it sounds like being a tattoo artist is is maybe the terminus of that for you. And I think that's really exciting. If you can cultivate that excitement, turn it into a passion, because it's not something you're yet passionate about. You're, you won't actually be passionate about that, Brandy, until you're willing to put in the many, many, many hours of drudgery so that you get to the other side. You get the actual payoff of becoming a phenomenal tattoo artist where you feel just great about what you're doing, and you get excited about being able to do new work. And while you're in it in the moment, sometimes it may seem mundane. Sometimes it may seem overwhelming. And you may hit these these plateaus where you feel like you're not growing, but you have to keep you have to keep working through that in order to really cultivate it into a passion that you wake up in the morning and you feel good about about doing what you're doing as opposed to the opposite. Instead of the opposite, by the way, of pain isn't pleasure. The obverse side of the coin is comfort. Comfort is the other side of pain. And, and you know what? It, it, I can either feel comfort or discomfort. Discomfort lets me know that I'm growing. That's one of the reasons we're, we're doing this, this podcast now is it's another opportunity for us to grow, not necessarily grow our audience or anything like that, but 
I would say I'm not very great at, at speaking and having these sorts of sorts of conversations repeatedly, but it's allowing me to build that muscle. It's allowing Ryan to build that muscle. So over time, we get good at it. And if you're still tuning in here 100 episodes from now, I, I plan to be appreciably better at having these types of conversations. The next clip you're about to hear is from episode number 13. We called this one Career. Let's talk about a job versus a career versus a mission. And let's talk about where passion comes into the equation there. So if you can usually tell with how happy someone is with what, what they do for a living, what they do to earn a paycheck by how they describe it. And the first thing you'll hear people say is, I have a job, or I have to go to my job, or this is my job. And, and that tends to indicate that there isn't a whole lot of passion or even excitement uh, with what they're doing. Nothing wrong with having a job. We all have to pay the bills. Uh, but there isn't a, a whole lot in terms of, of, of passion or meaning or purpose in, in what they're doing. The second thing you'll hear people say often is, I have a career. And that's a step up from a job. It's more of a long-term job. And I would actually argue that your career is perhaps the most dangerous thing that you can have. Because it's a, it gets you to a point where you're comfortable, but most people don't find a lot of value, certainly a lot of meaning or purpose in, in their career. There are the select few people who call what they do for a living their mission. And those people tend to be very passionate about what they do. They're usually pretty excited about what they do. And, and it aligns with their values, it aligns with their personal interests. Now, let me make a distinction here. If you have a passion that you've cultivated over the years, that's great. And it may not have anything to do with how you earn a paycheck whatsoever. The confluence of your passion and earning money off of that is generally how I would describe a mission. If you're able to make a living off of your passion, then you have found your mission in life. But you, your mission tends to align with who you are as a person. And so you have to ask yourself some, some questions here. You know, does this align with my values? Does this position, whatever it may be, and, and you, you talked about banking versus creativity, it sounds to me like it may not align with your desires, with your interests, and you may not find a whole lot of meaning in, in a banking job. And if so, now would be a really good time to consider not going down that road and, and pursuing something else. Because once you get into a, a position where it, you've made something your career, it becomes very comfortable. And as things get comfortable, it's hard for us to put ourselves in what I call our discomfort zone. And, and if you're not uncomfortable from time to time, you're going to stop growing. And careers, often long-term careers, prevent us from growing because on a scale of 1 to 10, we don't hate the job. Like I know even when I had my career for uh, 12 years, uh, back in, in the telecom world and managing a whole bunch of employees, I didn't hate my job. There, there were certain parts that were miserable, but overall, I wouldn't have told you that I hated the job, Ryan. Now, now what I would have said, though, is it doesn't necessarily align with who I am, but it provides me a, a comfortable paycheck. I make a good living, and it was a five or six out of ten, and that that place is dangerous because it prevents us from making a change that's going to be far more meaningful. So as you're asking yourself some questions, Jack, ask yourself some questions that are going to make you uncomfortable. What is my, my passion? Um, does this career align with my values? Can I cultivate this into a passion? And if so, can I turn it into my mission? Uh, I'm going to talk about the obverse of that for a second. Let's say that Jack does decide to start a career, which, you know, we're not going to tell you to or not to do that. But let's say that you, you look, you're looking at this career, I'm going to start this. The question I would be asking myself is, am I going to have time to cultivate passion? Am I, am I going to have time to cultivate these hobbies? Because if you're getting out of college, yes, you're going to have to find a job. You're going to have to eventually start paying back all those student loans. Um, you might have to have a job temporarily, but you can still be very deliberate with the job you choose. You're in a great position right now uh, to be deliberate with that, to make sure that you're choosing something that allows you 
to uh, have the time to cultivate your values and beliefs. And speaking, Jack, to your question about do you need to make money from your passion? I'm going to quote Stephen Pressfield. He said, the professional has learned that success, like happiness, comes as a byproduct of work. The professional concentrates on the work and allows rewards to come or not come. So what that means to me is that if you're truly passionate about something, no, you don't have to make money from it. Uh, It would be great if everyone in the world could find a passion and make money from that and make a living from that, but that is not necessarily uh, the the end-all, be-all for every single person. So don't feel pressure uh, to make money from your passion. In fact, I would say if you, if anyone out there is putting pressure on themselves to make money from a passion, uh, that's a very dangerous approach because you could ruin what you're passionate about by putting pressure on yourself to make money from it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. In fact, pursuing your passion should be independent of income. The, the cool thing is if you are passionate about something or you're thinking about cultivating something into a passion – you can find other people who do make a living off of that. You know, if you know someone, if you're really passionate about training horses or, or just horseback riding, there is someone who makes a living off of that. There's no question about that. Right. And, and then all you have to do is identify what's their model, what's their template, what's their recipe for earning a living off of that. Let me cultivate into a passion first. For me, writing is my passion. It's what I'm most passionate about. But I wrote for you know, more than a dozen years before I I was able to. to turn that into my mission and make a lot of, of uh, uh, changes in my life that allowed me to at least start to make a little bit of income from it in time. And, and so I cultivated that passion first, eventually in time, was able to turn it into my mission where I did earn a living from it. But would I still write if I didn't make a penny from it? You're damn right I would because it's something that I'm, that I'm really passionate about and it's something that, that will carry me forward going forward. Now, Jack, you mentioned the word cushy, cushy bank job. I would tell you to avoid anything that's cushy. Mm. Passion is not cushy. Mm-mm. Passion often involves hard work, tedium, drudgery, getting past the, the parts that seem sexy or exciting to you and moving forward to something that is meaningful. Meaningful does not include the word cushy. All right, last summer, Ryan and I hit the road. We brought our documentary to more than 400 theaters, but 15 of those we showed up at, and we had the minimalism film tour throughout the summer. We, we, during that tour, we recorded live versions of our podcast, and we aired some of them on our podcast feed. And the next clip you're about to hear is from our live event in Miami, Florida. It's episode number 22. First off, I would discourage anyone from jumping up and saying, look at me, I'm a minimalist. I mean, can you imagine if, it, flashback, the screen gets fuzzy here, and it's 2009, and um, I've got my tie on, and I'm chubby. And, uh, and I say, hey, Ryan, I'm a minimalist, and you should be too, because you've got a lot of crap how do you think you would have reacted to that? Yeah, I, I definitely would not have been as open to, 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 to what you had to say. Yeah, well, because I, I would have felt judged. I would have felt like, what do you mean I got a lot? Of course I got a lot of crap. Look how much money I make. Yeah, why wouldn't I have a lot of crap? I mean, that's probably how I would have reacted. Right, and, and so instead of me going out trying to sell this idea... Eventually, it's when Ryan came to me. It was eight months after I'd simplified my life or been simplifying my life. I hadn't reached an end point. That, that, that was a word you used there. Before I reached this end point, I still haven't reached an end point, and that feels good to realize that I'm never going to get there. And, and so Ryan came to me one day and said, why the hell are you so happy? And it's because he saw the benefits. So my mom had died. My marriage had ended. But... And I was still working in the corporate world 70, 80 hours a week, but something had changed. It's not that I was happy relative to what I am now. I'm I'm far happier now. But I had stopped chasing happiness. I realized that happiness isn't the point. And the more we chase happiness, the farther away we're going to get from it. See, what the point of all of this was, it was living a more meaningful life. 
and, and defining what that means. See, when I was successful in a very narrow sense, I was successful monetarily and I had a, a job title that may have impressed a few dozen people, but the, the truth is I wasn't successful in the, the broader sense. And, and so by, by changing my definition of success, I was no longer chasing the happiness through the next paycheck, the next promotion, the next purchase. I, I was able to learn that, that a meaningful life would make me happy. Happiness was simply a byproduct of, of living in accordance with my values. And, and to, to get there, I had to figure out what my values were. I was f focused on the wrong stuff. I wasn't focused on what was important to me. I didn't even know what was important anymore. I got to that point where it's like, okay, happiness is right around the bin. And then you get around the bin, right around the corner, and there's another corner. And you're like, oh, it's going to be around that corner. And then you never get there. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What am I focused on? I need to stop trying to worry about being happy and start worrying about what is important in my life. And so I say, yeah, yes, set that example. But I'll also say this about, about the documentary. The, the reason that we, we really wanted to make this film is what I said earlier during the intro is we wanted to find a way to make minimalism more accessible. Because it has for a while been you know, the Josh and Ryan show, and we've, we've shown a bunch of other minimalists in other ways that we could, but this was the way for us to say, look at all these other recipes. You have Leo Babalta in there with six kids, and he puts us to shame. He washes his, his T-shirts in the sink still, and that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted to live, but I admired that. You also had Colin Wright in there. He travels to a new country every four months. Again, not a life I wanted to live, but I admired that it allowed him to pursue what was important to him. And so I think the documentary is, will be a great thing to share with people, uh, but ultimately, you're right, the best way to show the change is to show the change. Yeah, I, I, uh, I just want to speak to this point of proselytizing. I was a Jehovah's Witness for like 24 years, knocking on doors for 24 years. You know how, how many people I converted? Zero. <laughs> now one. And uh, with this journey of minimalism, I haven't knocked on one person's door. I have never forwarded or like sent someone an essay I've written and said, you've got to read this because you, this would help you. Um, we simply started a website and told our story with no expectation, and uh, people found value in it. And, and ultimately, I would, I would you know, encourage you to kind of transfer that to, to, to uh, your life, meaning you know, if you see someone who is complaining about, oh, man, you know, I've got way too much stuff. I don't know how to declutter. I, ho I hold on to all this just-in-case stuff, for example. You might say, oh, you know, the minimalists, they, they wrote an essay about just-in-case stuff. You might like it. I mean, something that speaks to something that they're already calling out that they have a problem with. Um, but, but yeah, certainly, you know, if you have a friend who you feel like is a hoarder and you send them our website, they, I mean, they might very well take offense to that. Like, who are you to tell me I got too much stuff? So I, I would look for little opportunities like that, but, but ultimately it is, it is living by example. Um, when I saw Josh, you know, like he moved, him and his wife split up and I'm helping him move into his new apartment and he's got this like nice TV bracket on the wall that came with the apartment. And like the first thing I thought was like, oh, I wonder how big of a TV he's going to get. This is like a big thing between us. We were always like, hey, look at my TV. No, look at my TV. Look at my three TVs. And uh, six months went by, or a couple months went by, and I'm like, you know, over to his apartment, are you going to get a TV? Oh, I may or may not. Six months goes by, still no TV. I noticed how he was acting different at work. Um, he started setting expectations with our boss, like, hey, um, I'm going to be available from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m., and that's it. And that, that's a lot of hours to give you, and, uh, which was like sacrilegious uh, where we were working at. We, we were on call like doctors, except we worked in retail. <laughs> we weren't saving anybody. We couldn't even save ourselves. Yeah, so when I saw those things, that's what really made me say, okay, Josh is doing something that is, is making him not just happier, but 
I saw him regaining control of his time and 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 really doing good things with his focus. And that's what made me go to him and be like, dude, what's going on with you? Why the hell are you so happy lately? All right, this this next clip is from episode number 27 about passion. First thing you're going to have to do is identify what your values are. Now, everyone has certain basic human needs, a need for shelter and for food and for clothing. But once your basic human needs are, are met, then you have to figure out what are the what are your higher order values in life? What what is most important to me? And, and once we got the clutter out of the way for us, Ryan and I identified five different areas that were our values, these higher order values. We just called them the five values of living a meaningful life. So first off, it was health. Second, relationships. Third was passion. Fourth and fifth, they kind of go together, growth and contribution. And so we identified those are our values. And so when you're looking to pick a passion, you want to make sure it aligns with uh, as many of those values as possible. And then you can also add your own values. What, what, are, your, what are your beliefs? What, what are your own morals? What do you find interesting? You said you have a lot of things that you like, David. Well, which of those things aligns most significantly with uh, with your values. And also the question is, is this something I'm going to want to make money from long term? Meaning, do I want to turn this into a vocation? If so, how possible is that? What are the templates out there? When I was uh, leaving the corporate world, people didn't believe I was leaving at first, right? And I, I, <laughs> I yeah, would tell people that when I was leaving, because I had this prestigious job title, I was the director of operations for 150 retail stores. But that wasn't my passion. Yeah, I, I was pretty good at it. And, and so I, I, they all assumed I was going to a competitor. And I said, well, no, I'm just going to go right full time. And, you know, I, I probably work at a coffee shop down the street just to pay the bills. And I, I just really wanted to write literary fiction. That was my thing. And, and so I identified that as, as my passion. So when I finally decided to make that leap, step away from the corporate world, I was told by so many people, you can't just go be a writer. If, any, if, if anyone could do that, well, then everyone would do it. You can't just go make a living as a writer. And I just thought to myself, well, wait a minute. There are thousands of people, probably tens of thousands of people, who make an income from writing. And so that's, that's silly. What was happening is people were projecting their own fears, their own insecurities onto me. He's going to go do the thing he wants to do. I don't feel comfortable enough in making that leap and going and doing the thing that I want to do because of X, Y, and Z. Don't let other people project their fears. I knew that there was a model, a template out there. So if you are wanting to cultivate a passion into something that earns you an income, that's that's great. It doesn't have to. It, doesn't, it certainly doesn't have to, to be that way. But uh, if you want to do that, find a template, find a model, find someone else out there who has cultivated a passion and turned it into an income. And you can certainly find those people. There there are plenty. Whatever you want to do, I'm I'm willing to bet you there is someone who does that thing very well and gets compensated for it. Yeah, you know, one thing that David said that kind of. Um Oh, I don't want to say rings alarm bells, but it just concerns me a little bit when he said, well, you know, I just, I have all these passions and I sit there and I just think about, you know, stuff until, you know, I'm just waiting for something to click. Mm. And that is, that is, uh, I think that's the wrong approach. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, we have this idea that we can sit around and, um, I was listening, well, I got this from, uh, Tim Ferriss. I was listening to uh, one of his podcasts the other day and he was talking about how people, uh, sit around trying to discover themselves. And it's not about discovering yourself as much as it is uh, creating yourself. And many of you have probably heard this, this saying before, discover yourself, don't, don't discover yourself, create yourself. But what that means is that you can't journal your way to a passion. There isn't a, a test that you can take that's going to say, hey, uh, thanks for taking this test. Here's, here's your passion. You want to be a, a veterinarian, and that's what you're going to be passionate about the rest of your life. <laughs> I feel like high school counselors try to do that at some point, right? <laughs> well, they try to give you some guidance. I mean, that's sure. why they are guidance counselors. Uh, and certainly, you know, they want to give you some options. But unfortunately, there isn't a test. 
And, and the thought behind uh, this discovering yourself is basically kind of looking at yourself like a block of ice. Like, well, you know, if I read this book, then I'm going to like chip a little piece away. And if I uh, talk to this one person, I'm going to chip a little bit more away. And eventually I'm going to reveal myself. And, and, and again, that is not how it works. Instead of looking at it like you're a block of ice or look at it like you're, you're discovering yourself, uh, David, look at yourself like you're a little ball of clay. And that's it. And you have to add little pieces to that ball of clay. And yes, reading a book or journaling or thinking about it will certainly help you to uh, start to head uh, uh, or, or will be those little pieces that you're adding, um, but those cannot be the only pieces that you, you add to yourself. So what I would say, David, is this, man, choose one thing. If you, if you have 20 things, 40 things, whatever it is, write them all down. And right away, you're going to know, you're going to know, you're going to know that, okay, I can cross off lacrosse off this list, or I can cross off uh, milk chugging contests off the list. <laughs> like, I mean, there are going to be some automatic things that you can cross off. And then if you've got 10 left over, even if it is still 20 left over, put them all in a hat and just choose one and do that one thing and do lots of it over and over again. And you know what? You might fail. You might find something that you, you pick up on and you're, you're committing to every single day and realize, you know, after six months of really committing, really drudging through the drudgery that, man, I really don't like this. And you might fail. And that's okay. Because I can tell you that the more you fail, the more successes you have also. That is a ratio that holds true. So work towards your passion, David, and become an expert at it. And this one is from episode number 28 called Debt. The reason that, that you're having trouble communicating here is you're both talking about the what right now. You're talking about, I want to get out of debt, or I want to, to stay at home after I lost my job, or, or I want to have these bills, I want to have these expenses. These are the what's. We need to talk about the why. Why do you want to be debt-free? What anchors are you removing? What will that free up? Will it give you more time to, to stay at home? It sounds like you, you, want to be, uh, you, you want to stay at home. I don't know if you're a stay-at-home mother, but um, I'm going to recommend that you actually get a job until you pay off your debts. Right now, you're, if you're in debt, you, you, you want to be able to tackle that as quickly as possible but you need to show your husband why that is so important. Financial freedom is going to allow you to travel more. What are your goals? How are you going to get on on the same page? Now, I know you you said your husband says that, well, our debt isn't that bad compared to most people. Well, yeah, if you compare yourself to most people, you're never going to be happy. In fact, I think comparison just by itself is uh, is dangerous, but Compared to most people, most people aren't happy. Most people are up to their eyeballs in debt. Most people aren't living a a meaningful life, and it's not because they don't want to. They certainly want to, but they feel trapped, and quite often they're trapped by this thing called debt. And so, yes, you definitely want to to get out of debt, and and you're going to need to have a discussion with with your husband. You need to gonna, you you're definitely going to need to get on a budget where you. You find a location for every single dollar that you bring in, and hopefully you'll both be working to bring in more dollars so that you can pay down that debt. Your budget then becomes a contract with your husband. It's also a contract with yourself, but you really can't start working on that contract until you get a clear reason why you want to do this. The what is the intellectual side of things, and intellectual the intellectual side of things does, doesn't explain much uh, in terms of the why. The why is the emotion, that visceral feeling behind why you want to be debt-free. It's where you're going as opposed to where you are. And just real quick, you mentioned, Merrill, our need-want-like list. It's a, a budgeting tool that Ryan and I have used uh, to to be more aware of the money that we're, that we're spending. And so for those people who aren't aware of the need-want-like list, you can uh, just go to theminimalists.com slash want. We, we break it down for you. There's three different categories. You put all your expenses in, and I think, uh, I think that'll help other people out as well. Yeah, Meryl, uh, I'll, I'll talk about Mariah and I. Um, so Mariah is Ryan's partner, by the way. Yes, uh, Mariah and I were talking about her quitting her job. This was about eight months to a year ago. And I was like, you know, you can totally do this. Uh, let's, let's talk about getting you debt free. Let's talk about, you know, getting a six month salary safety net put together. 
and and uh, maybe you could uh, potentially quit your job. And that was a common goal that we both kind of found that uh, we could both work towards because we we wanted to be around each other more. She wanted to do more. Uh, you know, she like <laughs> she looks at me and she's like, "Man, I want to live that blog life, Ryan. I want to like you know be able to you know have 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 freedom with my schedule, even though we work a ton. Uh, you know, our schedule is is pretty much ours to manage. So that's really you know what she wants to work towards is having having a, a schedule on her own terms, and uh, she really, really wants that. So first I would say, Meryl, is find something that you and your husband both really, really want and and, and use that as leverage to to pay off debt and to work towards. And and then, you know, it got to a point where uh, with Mariah, I, I just one day I was like, oh, wow, if she sells her car, that would like get rid of most of her debt already. In fact, that was her biggest debt. On, that was on, on it was the only debt course. she had left. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, so I'm like, man, if she could sell her car, she she would be debt free. Oh, by the way, uh, she's been making double payments on her car, so then she'd have a few thousand dollars on top of, uh, you know, after paying off the debt, she'd have a few thousand dollars to put away in the savings. And long story short, I went to her and I'm like, Mariah, you could sell your car. We can go down to one car. And, and you could even get there faster. And her initial reaction was, no, I don't want to sell my car. Like car, a car, especially in Montana, uh, it equals freedom in, in a lot of cases. Um, you can get around Missoula really, really well um, without a car. Um, outside of Missoula, it's very, very difficult to get anywhere um, if you don't have a car. So she didn't want to like give up this personal freedom. But then as time went on, and it wasn't that much time, just a couple weeks, maybe a month, where she started to realize like, oh yeah, if I sell my car, I can quit my job a lot sooner. So uh, she literally just sold her car last week. So the job was the pain point there. Yeah. It was more pain than getting rid of the car, it sounds like. Exactly. So so she, she uh, sold her car last week and basically was able to put a huge chunk of change into savings. She doesn't have that six months yet. Uh, but she will have that six month salary saved up by the end of August, and that is when she will she will quit her job. So her, so her she has a plan. Yeah, so she's got a plan. So what what, what I'm getting at is is that um you know Mariah didn't want to give up her car, uh, <laughs> and then saw the benefits of giving up her car, saw the benefits of getting you know of 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 uh, leaving that huge pain point of her job. And, and all of a sudden, that moved her to yes, let's go down to one car. Now, the car that she had, it was a, uh, it was like a Chevy HHR, like not a super, you know, nice car, but it it was a nice ride. I mean, much nicer than my 2004 Toyota Corolla. I think it's her, hers was like a 2010 or 2012, something like that. But it had a, uh, you know, uh, you know, a sunroof that didn't leak. <laughs> it had um, heated pleather seats. Yes, it did have heated seats, man. It was awesome. So like, there was all these like luxury, uh, you know. Amenities, amenities. Am I saying that right? Yes. <laughs> I had all these amenities that that she really enjoyed. Um, however, once we were able to find a goal that 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 equaled more pleasure than the pleasure of her car, she was able to kind of turn that corner. So find something that you that y'all have in, in common, if, if whether it's you know, big time vacation or whether it's, you know, traveling the world for a year or whatever it may be, just find something, try to find something that you both can work towards uh, that that includes uh, paying off your debt. Totally agree with that. We, we do things for two reasons, either for pain or pleasure. So find find both in, in the situation, Meryl. Find the, the pain points that are their pain points for both of you and, and then find the pleasure that you are both going to work toward together. And this last clip is from our episode titled Criticism, which was episode number 33. So let's start with, with the bad side of things. Uh, in the corporate world, we used to talk about these the seagulls. And so we have a, an essay from, from our book, Essential. And I just wanted to read a, a quick excerpt from that. Uh, this essay is called Seagulls. Criticism is inevitable unless you do nothing important with your life. But whenever you put yourself out there, whenever you expose your ideas to the world, be it via social media, blogs, or business meetings, you're effectively wearing a sign that says, criticize me. Of course, some criticism 
is beneficial. Feedback from people respect helps us grow. Other criticism, however, is toxic. The most virulent example is the cynical internet troll. So we're kind of talking about that today, I think. Uh, Trolls are like seagulls. They fly in, shit all over you, and fly away. And they're not informed enough to understand the implications of their own actions. Truth be told, most critics bring nothing to the table. They simply project their own insecurities and add zero value to the conversation. And if we listen to them, their toxicity permeates our thoughts, making it difficult to create anything worthwhile. So, you have two choices. Either create and be criticized, or hide from meaningful work because you're scared of a little bird poop. Personally, I'd rather cover my head and craft something worth criticizing. And, and, and Ryan, I, th- I think that's, that's really what we're doing now is we, we really open ourselves up to the world. We, we have effect, by, by having an audience in front of us, whether when we first started and had 52 people uh, show up to the blog or, or now where it's approaching 5 million people and the podcast is uh, approaching a million people, we, we have a sign here that says criticize me. Mm. And I think the thing is, we, we want to delineate between good criticism and, and, and bad criticism here, right. but I... I don't know about you, but for me, I tend to lean on people that I care about and whose opinions I trust. And it's why I'll call and I'll ask you, what do you think about this? Or with Sean, if I'm writing, hey, hey, uh, uh, Sean, can you tell me about, about this sentence? Or do you, think, do you think this story really strikes a chord? And what would you change about this? Because these are opinions that, that I appreciate. And then also when we are publishing a book, we'll, we'll go out to a whole bunch of alpha readers and the beta readers and ask for people who are willing to give us criticism up front, uh, but do so in a, in a meaningful, helpful, articulate way, as opposed to people who just become seagulls and fly over and... and shit on us. So what, what's the last, whether it was re- in regards to the minimalists or your personal life, what's the last good criticism you got? I think I get it from, from you all the time, but, but they're... they're <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, I criticize you all the time. <laughs> well, no, I, I think so, but, but I ask for it from, from you, and I think, I think that's, that's what's different. Uh, we, you and I talk about stuff all the time, and I think criticism can be as easy as, I would do it this way, but here's why, and that's why it's good. It's not it's the opposite of what bad criticism is. Bad criticism is, I don't like that. That is stupid. You are wrong. I'm so disappointed in your opinion. Okay, but that doesn't tell me why it's bad, and it's not helpful. Right. So good criticism usually is helpful, and, and, and that comes from when someone's intentions are, are good, and they're not just lashing out. They're not having this, this fake outrage. Finally, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, my name is Gabrielle. I'm calling from Alexandria, Virginia, and I was just calling to share some kind of fun stories. Um, I just randomly started listening to your podcast about a week ago, and was so immediately struck by the need to simplify my life. So (laughs) some of the stories, I um, this weekend cleaned about 50% of the stuff I own out of my apartment, and um, some of the fun things that happened was, one, I found, like, every single thing that I'd ever thought I'd lost, including clothes that I had bought and then immediately thought I'd lost. I found them in the bottom of my closet. Um, it was kind of eye-opening. It's like, wow, I didn't realize I was kind of a hoarder. Um, also, I just felt this huge weight lifted off me. Um, I gave all of the stuff to my parents um, to go through first in case they wanted anything. And I was able to immediately meet some of the needs that they had in their life um, since they're not wealthy and there are some things that I was hanging on to that I didn't need that were able to um, be there for them and items that they were really able to get some value from. So that was a huge blessing to me. Um, and then after the weekend, we, um, we were on a shopping trip looking for something for my mom. And I realized that since taking this little journey, Walking through the mall was never going to be the same again. (laughs) You know, just walking by the store and seeing all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, remember the days when I thought I needed this stuff? Like, literally 24 hours ago. So it was just, it's amazing how much my mind has already been reshaped by the idea that I don't need all of the things I've been socialized 
um, and advertise to say that I need. And um, I'm really pushing the stuff out of my life so that I can make room to do things that I think are truly important. And um, I'm going to be able to spend more of my time and resources um, on the things that actually reflect my values. My name is Steve, like the letter, and I have a comment. Um, I noticed you guys had mentioned Mr. Money Mustache from the episode on money. Um, I find a lot of crossover between the minimalist podcast and the financial independence or early retirement philosophy, which is about how to make sure that you're spending your money and your time on things that really matter in life, like relationships or passions. Um, so I would recommend for listeners of this podcast to check out the book, Your Money or Your Life, preferably from a library. Um, I think it's a great resource for people who are struggling with finding meaning in this world of consumerism and uh, fancier and fancier consumer goods. Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I just have a comment about uh, the recent health podcast. Um, and uh, I just want to say that one thing that I have found has been really helpful for me um, with increasing my fitness um, in kind of like a minimalist way has been um, basically making my body a vehicle. Um, you know, I live in, in Edmonton, Alberta, so we have winters and summers and falls. And, um, you know, I, I used to rely on my car a lot um, just to get me everywhere, whereas now um, I, I bike um, in the summertime pretty much from April 1 to October 31, if weather permits. Um, and in the winter, I take the bus. And that has made a huge difference for me because um, I get some type of physical exercise every single day. And uh, what I love about cycling in the summer is just the the mental health that I gain as well because I see the sunrise every morning and I get to experience nature. And I just, even if I'm having a really busy work or family life, I don't feel like I'm missing out on the season because I'm cycling, I'm getting outdoors every day. And uh, and the best part about that is um, is for my daughter because she is a part of that and um, and she loves going for bike rides with mummy and she loves going for stroller rides in the winter or going for sleigh rides to daycare every morning and um, you know so it's become a real family affair. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear.